0: Welcome to LameStream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Brayden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall.
1: My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, rate, review, subscribe, tell somebody about it. We would really appreciate it. How's the trash these days, Steve, at the house? You know, we've taken out the trash.
0: (laughs) They've shown up. (laughs) Every time my trash has been picked up on the exact same day, like before noon, when it's supposed to, I think about you, buddy. I think about you. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, that three weeks was a little rough
0: <laughs> coming up on the show today ian air ceo of nashville sc a, a really fascinating conversation about all the ins and outs of the stadium why why they designed it the way they designed it the revenue streams the naming rights you know moving into their own building what does that mean for the club financially so much great stuff how he intentionally built this team uh, to compete in the mls with very specific strategies uh, and some thoughts on the World Cup qualification by the men's U.S. Na- men's national team as well. So a ton of great stuff from Ian Air. Uh, fantastic interview by him. Lots of stuff uh, coming out of the, pre- the CEO of Nashville SC. We've got ratings and recommendations a little bit later on. I cannot wait to give you my recommendation, Steve. Later, I can't wait.
1: That's a that's a nice tease. <laughs>
0: Very I detailed. can't wait either. Very detailed. I, I'm so excited about my recommendation. We'll do ratings as well. Uh, all of that great stuff. And we've got some news around the Titan stadium and press access for the NFL next year. All very promising things. So we'll get to all that here on the front end before we talk with Ian. However, lamestream sports
1: is brought to you by Jaspers always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar. So I got a text message
0: from the, owner of four top hospitality oh about your behavior oh that no I will, that i will read later on in the show oh oh good very disappointed in you he's not angry he's very disappointed okay no. also there's, it means, it means a, he listens to our ads
1: <laughs> there's there's a there's a there's a there's a long line that can get get in line with a lot of people exactly uh
0: great drink specials for preds games only 15 left to go in the regular season free parking great food and uh the owner's mad at steve i'll explain a little bit later on in the show that's a way better tease than than the last one by the way so we'll get to Ian air coming up in just a few minutes go to jaspers so first of all the great news roger goodell announced sort of or told the media at the owners meetings this week that the the locker rooms in the nfl in 2022 will be open if you've listened to this show at all you know how we feel about this this is exciting and awesome news for everyone media fans everybody players we think it is a great decision and an exciting move i'm not sure how much time we need to spend on it other than to just celebrate it good for you nfl for not giving a shit about what people write about you thank you for giving access back to the media
1: this is huge news, particularly if you don't like homogenous, one size fits all <laughs> coverage for your team. NHL, NBA, MLB, you're you're up guys. Yep. I was talking college to- college football. You're you're up.
0: <laughs> Come Adam, Adam Vingen, host of the Gold Standard and writer for the National Predators co- covering them for the Athletic, very very excited about this news and waiting for the NHL's next move. <laughs> Very interested in what's going to happen. So just thought we'd celebrate that for a second because you're absolutely right. It will create just far better content for you Titans fans out there uh, across all 32 teams in the NFL. And again, NFL is so big, they don't care. This is the point. This is the point that Nashville Predators you know, PR needs to learn. <laughs> There's, just let, let us talk to the players. It will be better for your team. The NFL doesn't care. All right. Some news from Nate Rao. And I first recommend people about the Titan Stadium. I first recommend everybody going back a couple of weeks to listen to his his interview about how this stadium proposal is coming about, the the relationship between the city, the mayor's office, the Titans, you know, how all this is going to work. Well, he broke some more news on that this week, that the the governor's office, Bill Lee, has announced a five hundred million dollar earmark to help with the building of this stadium. If you look at sort of the Buffalo deal, which isn't exactly comparable New York has a lot more tax revenue, but uh, also is not looking to try to acquire a Super Bowl. They spent $850 million as a state, $250 million from Erie County. Uh, the NFL chipped in and the ownership chipped in, I think, uh, uh, another couple hundred million. Um, that's about what this could look like, $500 million from the state. And I'll get you to explain what that means. But it could also mean five, six $600 million roughly from the team in the NFL. And then they've got to figure out how to close the gap on that, that extra billion there to try to build the stadium without putting too big of a burden on Davidson County taxpayers. So your, your thoughts when you saw the news and what does that $500 million mean from the state as it pertains to the Titan stadium?
1: The first thing to note is that, is that 500 million has a string attached, which is this is for, a, this is for a domed stadium. I mean, so this is for the, for something that's enclosed. Now I don't, I don't think they care if it's sliding roof or whatever else, but, uh, but, it, but it, it's for that i mean that's so you can have indoor events in there year round and the state is a big piece of that puzzle because and, and it's interesting to me that that part of it came so early because there's a clock ticking on this deal and this and the clock is this if this deal drags out into 2023 and we have we have countywide elections next year for the council and for the mayor What will happen is is those local elections will then become a referendum on the Titans deal by, by default. I don't know if there's going to be an actual referendum or not like there was back in the 90s. In order to get in order to build the original stadium, leading. a proverbial
0: referendum on
1: right on but, the mayor's but, office. but this would you would turn this you would turn this into one big referendum in the mayor's race right. and forty little referendums, <laughs> uh, uh, referendums, referenda, um, however it is we're that these days, <laughs> and that is a political nightmare. This thing needs this thing has to get wrapped up before those begin in earnest. Cooper wants to wrap them up because he wants to run on this, but. If, that, if the deal is not substantially done before then, you inject an element of chaos into it with those elections. And that's something that uh, I think anybody who wants the stadium doesn't want to see. So there's, there's significant pressure, and, and there's still a lot to be done because what we don't know is what the local participation number is. If the state puts in 500 million, if the team in the NFL put in enough, to, let's, so say six. The,
0: let's say 600.
1: Yeah. So, so now we're at like 1.1 billion and whatever that price tag is, you know, maybe it's 1.5, maybe it's 1.8 or whatever else. 1.8 is a good, good, That's going to, that's going to have to come from the city. So if you were to come up with, the city has to come up with $700 million, how would they do it? How would the the, the mayor has pledged to do this in a way that doesn't require what's so-called, what are called general obligation bonds, meaning that's the money that comes out of the year to year budget likely it's likely that they would do this in some sort of tax diversion way so that all the development that is around the stadium and things that happen at the stadium would be taxed in a way that that tax would be recaptured and used to service the bonds that that are that are that the city's putting up so So. those, those are called revenue bonds and that's and that's how the that's how the soccer stadium gets financed in a way that it's the taxpayers are never on the hook for it.
0: From what I understand, that the tax sort of rerouting of that those dollars is is sort of the top mechanism that they would like to pursue. But it also means, along with Bill Lee making this statement early, to your point on the calendar and the election and all and all that, and how it affects you know, what, what we're all going to vote on next year in Davidson County, but but it also sort of gives you insight into how large the development could be around the Titan stadium, how far it could stretch North up to Oracle and maybe South into PNC metals. If there's a whole lot there, there some of which probably has to be beneficial to the local community, whether that's parks and green space or affordable housing or whatever, there's going to have to be a balance there, but it also tells you that if the state's going to put up that amount of money that developers are probably involved, that if the development's big enough that those tax dollars can then pay for $700 billion worth of of bonds to to pay off the Titan Stadium. It tells you there's a whole lot of moving parts here and there's a lot of stuff that they need to figure out in a very short order. But if they can do it, Steve, and if Cooper can go into a mayoral race next year saying, look, we're building a $2 billion stadium and we're not really paying a whole lot of money for it and we're probably going to get a Super Bowl and a Final Four out of the deal. And oh, by the way, this entire area is going to be developed for both tourism and local communities. That is that's the message he would want to sell to people. I I would assume if you but you have to get it all done here in the next what seven eight months probably six months. The
1: interesting thing to me is that uh too is is, so what does Bill Lee get out of this? You know the state and the and the city have been antagonistic towards each other for a while now over (laughs) over a number of different (laughs) issues. You know, pick one. The state really wants uh, well, I should say the state, state GOP leaders wow. really want the Republican National Convention in Nashville. Nashville is down to basically a short list of two, uh, us in Milwaukee. And so uh, my guess is that, it, you know, you will not see any mayoral opposition to that idea uh, <laughs> uh, in spite of the fact that that a lot of a lot of folks have made noise about not wanting yep. the RNC mm-hmm. here. So it, it, that that part of it, you know, kind of what what is being extracted from the mayor is is really interesting to me. And I assume we'll find out in time
0: and, and keep your ear to the ground. I would recommend Nashville I would recommend Nate Rao. I would recommend just paying attention to all this stuff because there's going to be a lot of news pouring out about all of this over the course of the next few weeks and months. And uh, it's I'm fascinated by it. I think the stadium financing stuff is like some of the most interesting stuff in all of sports And, and looking at like just atrocious deals like the Washington Nationals that you always bring up and then looking at the Nashville SC Park and and, and now with this Titans thing and it's there's so many moving parts and so many different, you know, incentives for different parties. I just find it utterly fascinating. It's so dramatic and I love it. And uh, hopefully my taxes don't go up and I get to go watch a like indoor event at uh, at, uh, you know, whatever it's going to be called.
1: Yeah, go listen, go, <laughs> go listen stadium. to the, go listen to the Nate pod that we had a few had a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago, I, I think at this point. It's a really good it's a really good overview of all these stadium issues.
0: Yep. Nate Rao did a great job this is sort of his beat man and it's uh I'm fascinated by it so make sure you check him out uh as well and Steve make sure people are subscribed to the National Banner right NashvilleBanner.com go in there get your email set up there so you can get updates from the National Banner because content is coming soon folks from the Nashville Banner um fascinating a matter r- of weeks fascinating ratings coming out that have we've got some Oscar I've got some Oscar ties to the NCAA tournament ratings from this past weekend. So we'll do that after Ian Air, as well as uh, one of my favorite TV shows I have seen in the last year and a half. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. So we'll do all of that after our conversation with the CEO of Nashville SC, Ian Air. Ian, great to see you, man. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. We do appreciate you joining the show.
2: Great for having me. I'm uh, uh, looking forward to it.
0: So let let me start. We'll start with the stadium here. Obviously, the the, the grand opening coming up here in a couple of weeks. But I'd like to go back sort of looking at the entire uh, process of beginning with plans and sort of the formation to what will come about on May 1st. Can you sort of describe what maybe some adjectives or some core goals were when you described the vision for what you wanted the stadium to be that sort of led you through all of these processes? Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I guess for me... Um, that journey started back in 2018, uh, when I was, you know, when I was uh, first talk with John Ingram and his team about this role, and and you know, there there were a couple of things. One was, you know, when he told me they wanted to build a stadium of 30,000 seats, which was, I think at the time, about 10,000 seats more more than everyone else had. Uh, I was kind of like, what, Why would you want to build it that big?" and and it was it was a real kind of interesting comment he made. He said, "I want to build this for where this sport is going, not where it might be today." And the irony of that is that you know we're probably going to fill this thing up right now, so so that's a good thing. And then from there, it was really about matching the venue to fit the vision for the whole thing for the team, which in John's mind and, and a couple of other people on his team was, you know, we want this to kind of have that something for everyone type feel, you know, so different types of proposition of where you sit, what the price points are, what the other things are that are important to, to different people. And, you know, that old adjective of you can never please everybody. Right. But but if you make enough different choices, then hopefully there is literally something for everyone and and then the, the other thing that was important was when we talked about the you know the visual look and feel of this stadium um, it was really important to it to john and and others that you know this fits into what is a you know fast-growing urban neighborhood in Wedgwood Houston and that you know it probably wouldn't not that not that the, that the, the other designs aren't right for, for other clubs, but a big, shiny kind of spaceship glass type edifice probably doesn't fit into that neighborhood. So, choices and, and briefings to the architects very early on. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, wood and brick and steel being of that neighborhood and, and to some degree of what had existed there before, a lot of old steel. Um, building. so so they were the types of things it was about bringing so you know building the biggest house in that neighborhood let's make sure it kind of fits in and doesn't look like an eyesore and and then you know as I say finding a, a mix of product and solutions and that that really gives everybody's pocket and everybody's preference something to go at and I think we feeling good I mean I think the proof's always in the sale right and feeling really good about demand so hopefully we got it right.
1: There's been a lot of building kind of within MLS here over the last few years. Did you learn anything from all the stadia that have come online here in the last five years?
2: Absolutely. I think you know we over the four years almost I've been here, you know, we took time to go to each of them either while they were in construction, when they were completed, as well it's fair to say, as going to other stadiums in other sports in this country and and other countries, the other country stuff more being my own experience of of being in different leagues. But, you know, whether it was in football stadiums or recent or older MLS stadiums, I think what we were always looking for was sort of small points that, that you think maybe fit. You know, we were never trying to build the same stadium as anyone else. You're really trying to make something uniquely nashville that works for your stadium in your market but that doesn't mean you can't find really cool kind of pieces you know whether it's you know being down at austin and seeing some of the stuff they did outdoors or whether it was being at minnesota who had the same architect and in some ways when we went to minnesota a couple of years ago we were able to see you know it's it's, albeit let's say a smaller version of what we were building, it was designed by the same architect and has many of, not all, but many of the similar features. So you could get, when you see a plan two, three years out on a piece of paper, it's almost hard to, you know, you can see a rendering, but but to go to a physical stadium built by the same architect or designed by the same architect, that was really helpful for me to visualise, you know, what, what we might kind of have at least in some forms, you know, the shape of. So it was all of that. We went to Minnesota and saw the Viking Stadium, which is first class, went down to Atlanta and saw what Darren and Arthur Blank had built. You know, so we took a little bit from everywhere, really, and made it our own, I suppose. When
0: you guys decided to push the capacity to the point where it becomes the larger, largest soccer-specific stadium on the continent – what are some of the factors outside of just ticket sales and demand and can we fill it like kind of the basic stuff? What are some of the other things that maybe people don't think about that, that helped you guys decide on, on that ultimate number?
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when we think about, and again, we, you know, a big part of the focus actually of almost everything we've done here since we started has been about making it work for Nashville and that, you know, what does that mean? It means lots of different things in different areas, but for you know, it's talking to people like I spent a lot of time very early on talking to Sean, Henry, and what they've achieved at the Predators. And I think one of the things that is fairly obvious is that Nashville fell in love with hockey. And it's you know, if you go to those games and I've been, and I, I couldn't describe myself as a big hockey fan. But I love going there because I love the experience. So it's not just about the hockey. Of course, the hockey is key, but and you know you want to have a good team. But but it's really about the experience. And so in our design and our our, you know our ambition was always to build something that we could really have a lot of fun and really entertain people in. And so on game days, some of the things that manifest from that are the you know sixty thousand square foot event square on the outside and the north end of the stadium that will start the party if you like you know the pre-game big screen on the outside of the building in that area with sound, the fact that the bathrooms on that north end are reversible. So in the pregame before people come in, you can go use them bathrooms but can't get into the stadium and then when we open the gates reverse and so trying to think of things like that that you start the party out there, you bring people in, And then also thinking about, you know, what, you know, this city, even in the short time I've been here, you know, the food city, you know, the food story and the, you know, this sort of involvement of different sort of cuisines and restaurants and different cultures bringing different things to Nashville was an important part. And, And I'm really pleased that last week when we actually started to launch and announce you know, almost all of our food partners are either from Nashville or Tennessee, and and that went down really well. And that was that wasn't by accident. You know, it was really about people coming to a new venue and seeing brands that they know and love and, and enjoy, and rather than just the, the same old stuff you get a, a lot of venues. So it was all of those types of things. It was about bringing music and theme into our clubs, so our clubs aren't just a big room with tables and a bar you know we purposely theme them so that they become more than that and if you go in one club you might get you know the Nashville music experience all sorts of genres of music that Nashville and and our area represents and then in the other end sports and, and again I was talking to the, the Titans and the predators last week and we want to celebrate them as much in our sports lounge as we celebrate ourselves so we'll have some cool memorabilia from them in there. And I would hope when we're not playing soccer in that venue that Titans fans and Preds fans will come to watch parties when they're in the road in that, you know, lots of parking and all that good stuff. So it was really about that. It was really about building something that, you know, a stage in the corner that will do, you know, in one of the corners there's a stage where we'll do pregame and halftime and all that sort of thing. And then the whole building was built particularly with concerts in mind. So, you know, the the South End as where the stack is under the stand has artist dressing rooms, five locker rooms, phase power for, for lighting and sound, the ability to drive trucks straight onto the field to build a stage, the steelworks rigged for, for all of that stuff. And, you know, we talked a lot to people like Live Nation, who are obviously the preeminent sort of Um, promoters in in the in the concert world and you know they told us that there's a real demand in that 30,000 type number because we sit right in between Bridgestone and Nissan so that mix of all those things I think brings a venue to the city and a venue for soccer that that can service Nashville in a really cool way and and so I hope we were thoughtful enough to get that right. And it feels like we have, but, you know, just got to open it now and see if it works.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the food. I, I won't make you defend your decision to put a Memphis barbecue place in a Nashville stadium,
2: <laughs> but, no, uh, well, it's Tennessee. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm new to the United States. There. <laughs> I just don't understand all the different barbecue. like we
1: don't know. <laughs> but one of the one of the things uh, one of the things when we were in there a few weeks ago for the uh, for the naming rights announcement that I was that I was struck by as everything like it starts to it's it feels like a real stadium now it's not just a construction zone anymore is is two things one those concourses are really big i mean those are the and and I've been in some other uh, MLS stadia here recently where when they had a full house, it did not, it did not, it felt it, they they were not designed for full houses. They were, you know, it it was, it was too crowded. Uh, but there were these big wide concourses and the other, the other piece of it was the kind of the way amenities had been sprinkled around the stadium so that it wasn't like you had to get to the other end of the stadium at halftime. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, you know, get a sandwich or get a, you know, get a, a piece of pizza, um, I, I thought the design of it was 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 really good. What what kinds of decisions were you were you looking at for a fan in a stadium like this for a game day experience?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I, the concourses are big, you know, 60 feet wide, I think from you know from the seating bowl to the concessions. And there were lots of factors that influenced that. And and you know, I would say that we If you look at the season in MLS in Nashville, you're typically starting in March and finishing October, November. So you're going through the different seasons of of weather, right? So you're starting cold, you're getting pretty hot, and then you may maybe kind of in the perfect sort of weather in the fall. And so we needed something that, even in the design and the construction, that was open and airy enough to have the air move around in the hot days, but also... In the cooler months to be able to you know to keep people relatively warm and sheltered from the weather and there's a there's a final piece that a lot of people haven't caught on to yet which will happen in the next few weeks is that we will surround the outside with these like vinyl banners that will kind of close it in a little more but but they were the type of things it was about comfort you know we did it we did a lot of study on prior you know everyone learns from everyone right everyone learns from other people's mistakes or or oversights, and you know, I know that in some of the stadiums that were built some time back in Houston and those sort of places, they had a lot of problem with heat. And so we did, you know, we spent some money on a on a heat study, which told us like on a really hot day in Nashville, what would this look like, and that influenced the width of our concourses to give more space to each individual to put big fans in those. Um, in those concourses, so it, it was, it was a really you know important process, and and one where you know everything was designed around comfort and experience. So the the fact that the canopy goes almost all the way around the stadium again was, we know that it kind of rains <laughs> rains like crazy some days here, and we we experienced that both in USL and in MLS in the early years, and so you know we wanted to provide you know if you if you're trying to get people to come to a new sport and trying to get them to come to a new venue and enjoy it, it goes back to that same thing said about hockey, is that you've got to give them the total experience. And a big part of that is the comfort, right? You know, how, how do you feel about you see, You know, what's your viewing position? How, how's the temperature and the weather? And how easy is it to get to a concession? And how much space, you know, how, how many bathrooms are there? And do you have to, as you say, do you have to go halfway around the stadium to get what you want to eat and hopefully not you know we've, we've tried and, and the other thing that you, you won't have seen you know we will supplement all of that great work we did on the concessions with portables as well so there'll be easy fast you know service solutions as well which which obviously aren't in place right now until we open
0: uh, obviously, as a father of a five year old, I am grateful for the shade that the tops uh, of the stadium will provide for the five year old child. There's no question about that. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this before. I get asked it all the time. Uh, what are the sorts of conversations you guys are having about parking around the building right now?
2: So, we're just, I think we're a week or so away from the big rollout uh, to fans of where everything will be. Um, we have a lot of parking, a lot, but we've been really. Really careful to to go through a a long study and a process, and so the reason for that was there are two things to this. One is that when you have any new venue, uh, the the number the amount of parking is crucial, and, and we feel good about that. But the second phase of it is educating everyone to where it is, how you get there, what roads will be closed, and you know. So there's and there's two or three elements. There's the club managed parking and then there's secondary managed parking and then there's the people who you know will let you park on their driveway for $20 or whatever it is That's so and you know I know from I've been watching this sport or watching all live sport for about 50 years and over time you find your way right you you know your space where you go how you get there and how you get out importantly i think we've tried to do and this will become evident in the next week or so. As I said, we've tried to be really, you know, collaborative with both the parking providers and our own parking, with the city, with with um, NDOT, all those people, so that when we roll this out, we're trying to get as many people as possible to be able to work out from stuff we'll put online and make available. Okay, I know where I can get to. I can get to that place. This will be the best route in for me. If I park there, it'll take me 20 minutes to walk from there or 10 minutes to walk from there, just so that people really understand all the choices as much as we can. Do I think it will be perfect on day one? Absolutely not, because it can't be, because you can't advocate for everybody knowing everything and you know paying attention to everything on the first game or so. But I think if there's anything, I, I don't believe we've missed anything in the... In the effort to to make it as seamless as possible Um, and then it's just about opening it and settling it down and and every venue I've ever been involved in where you've either made you know built something new or or added something as was the case when I was at Liverpool last you know just takes a couple of games till everybody settles into their place and that's the same for people coming into the stadium you know finding your seat and where the nearest bathroom is and which concessions you like. And all of that just takes a few games and then it's, you know, then it will settle down.
0: Lamestream sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business hosted by one Mr. Steve Cavendish of the Nashville banner, Nashville And it is brought to you by who? It is brought to you as always by Jaspers. So, I get a text message from oh, great. Our, 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 our wonderful title sponsor, Jaspers. I get a text message from the owner. And because remember last week we talked on the show about the game room, the fancy new swanky, amazing game room with Papa shot and with love the game room. Yeah. Fantastic. It's very real. Spectacular. Many people are talking about it. There's the Papa shot. There's the ski ball. There's the life-size Jenga. There's darts. There's shuffleboard. There's all kinds of great stuff. and. There's also a brand new swanky air hockey table of which you and I spent some time uh, on during the NCAA tournament. And I got a text message last week after we published our last episode and talked about your air hockey techniques, which is to lift the paddle up and trap the puck, which I, at the time during the game, told you is illegal. You scoffed, sir. There was scoffage. Did you not?
1: Doug. If no, you no, want, talk to me. Talk to if me. You, if you want to bitch about this, oh my god, just text me directly. Okay. No, just no, just call me. My phone lines are open. And no. by the way, there are no house rules posted saying that I can't do that.
0: Oh, just wait, sir. Just wait. <laughs> so <the> text <laughs> I message mean, says the if text- there had
1: been, I would abide, I would abide by the house rules, Pipe. but there weren't any.
0: Pipe down. Pipe down. Uh d- quote, does scavendish trap the air hockey puck like this every time? It was pretty routine. Not sure it's legal. Next text message is a link to the beginner's guide to playing air hockey, which specifically states that you cannot do that. And Doug says, it's a foul. And I hate it when people do that. He says, quote, it annoys the bleep out of me, but I've never actually looked it up. It's like you just laid on top of a soccer ball every time it came near you. You're welcome for the content for next week.
1: <laughs> you don't want people doing this in your in your establishment. Then maybe you should post the rules. Okay. I- it was. Okay. Uh, it, it is
0: understood that you cannot lift the paddle up and trap the puck. That is, it is the understood? entire purpose of
1: the game. Yes, this is not like this is not like natural law handed no. down from the heavens. I Steve, mean,
0: Steve, you did it the first time. In the first second you did it, I looked at you and said, "I, I said you are not allowed to do that."
1: And you and just I kept, said, "You just kept doing and it." And I said, "Really? Show me the rules." And, oh. that's all look i'm a rule i I, I, I follow rules okay no you don't you specifically i I follow i follow rules and when the rule is posted that's what i'll do all right Uh, this is not this is not hard I, i can't i can't magically know every
0: Air everyone, no, this is
1: everyone. It's just not.
0: I, everyone knows you cannot pick the paddle up and, and trap the puck in air Everyone, everyone knows it's yes. not a defense. Everyone. Okay. Knows. Also, it's next not. time you're going, you have to pay for parking. Okay, that's that's what's going to happen. If you <laughs> next time you trap the puck, you have to pay for parking when you go to Jasper's. Okay, <laughs> everyone else gets to go free because they follow the rules. <laughs> you, sir have to pay for parking. So the game room is great and amazing. The food is great and amazing. The parking is free unless you're a cheater. Otherwise, go to Jasper's for Preds games. Great drink specials. You got the grab and go market. So much good stuff at Jasper's. So go to Jasper's, everybody.
1: Maybe, by and folks, maybe by the time, next time you go to Jasper's, they'll post some damn rules on the wall. You had a big naming rights announcement here a few weeks ago. What went into kind of that partnership Uh, Were you looking for were you looking for somebody local versus national uh, for the naming rights on the stadium? And then how does that how does that deal compare with other MLS naming rights deals around
2: the league? Well, the process um, was a long one, I I think almost 18 months. Um, And we started with a pretty open book in terms of who it might be other than, you know, you want a brand that doesn't cause any offense or divide, you know divide. I remember for instance, you know, when I was at Liverpool that um talk about big sponsors, there was always concerns about certain brands that might conflict with certain parts of your community or that type of thing. So we want we wanted somebody that was a, a good brand that, that people could be respectful of and that would be respectful of our supporters and our city. But then we worked with um obviously worked with the agency to go out and look for that with Excel and did some great work with them. And then it's about, it's such a, I would describe naming rights as the most, what I would call a consultative sale when you sell in that space, because it's not like, even to some degree, as much as it's, you know, putting your name on the jersey is a big decision for an organisation. On a stadium, you really have to take people through the whole journey of. What does it mean for them? How do they extract value? You know, what are the things that are important? And sometimes the assets and the things that are important to a brand are different, depending who the brand is. So some companies want it for brand awareness. Others want it to bring lots of people to games. Others want it for community values. And so we really got down to a handful and then started that more deeper consultation. and. And um, Mike and his team at Jodis were fantastic. And I have to say that when we got down to the sort of final two or three, for me, they were always the the best solution. It was more about whether they felt that as well. Um, Just, I mean, this sounds a little bit, you know, like what anyone would say, but genuinely, the way they are as an organisation, their values, the way they act, you know, they're good people who are easy to get on with that, you know kind of in our city they're doing a great job i've been out to their facilities and, and they're relatively a brand that almost nobody knows they're almost he describes it i think as behind the curtain you know they're like they're well they're
1: sp- not a consumer facing brand and exactly. i thought it was really called- interesting that you guys yeah. rolled them out
2: yeah they're solving all these solutions for people for all of us you know i was fortunate enough to go out to their apple facility and you know uh, uh, you know like a million square feet of space, which I've never been in anything that's a million square feet before. It's (laughs) absolutely vast. And then when somebody said to me on that visit, you know, if you buy anything online in this country for Apple, it will come from this warehouse, like wherever you are in the U.S., if you buy something, it's coming from that warehouse in you know, down the road from here. So wow, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And, and, and they just have such great organization, as I say, good people. And so they talked about what their vision for it was, about the ability to let more people know about their brand, but also to engage staff and, you know, employee sort of opportunity and, and then obviously to work in the community, which is a big part of their journey. So it really felt a bit like when we did the, the deal with Renaissance it really felt like here's an opportunity for us as this kind of rising soccer team just entering our third season to partner with a brand that you know is taking on the big boys in the logistics world and equally wants to grow their name and their their organization. And and sometimes these things a bit it's a bit like dating, I guess. At some point you find one that you really like and <laughs> sort of make a go of it. And that's what it felt like. It felt like we really found somebody that we could. Work well with and, and found the right solution.
1: How, how does the deal compare with other MLS? Name I'd rights? say it's,
2: it's very comparable with, you know, probably, I think there are a couple of outliers that are significantly higher than anyone else in the league, but we would sit right in the average to above average category, um, which we're very pleased about.
1: And that, and that a naming rights deal is, is big for a, I mean, big for an MLS franchise because, I mean, relative to other revenue, that's a big chunk of revenue every every single year. Absolutely. Partnerships
2: is, you know, partnerships, ticketing are the two big sort of revenue streams in, in any team in this league. In other leagues, media, you know, media rights is another big piece and, how, you know, MLS is on the cusp of doing another big deal, but that sits in a, in a, you know, those three are really the three buckets and and having naming rights in your Partnerships section is is a big addition for sure.
1: How does being in this new stadium change the revenue picture for the club as opposed to the last two years where you've been renters over at, over at Nissan?
2: Hugely. Um, I mean, it's a game changer for us. And, and, you know, we were hugely grateful to Burke and the Titans and everyone in their organization for letting us be there of course they have their own partners who are represented all around that building. You know, they have their own deals for concessions. They have their own ticketing de- You know, we were really, we were really just playing our games. there. It was very difficult for us to drive value, value for our, our you know, our partners and value for ticket holders because we could only offer them whatever was available. Right. We, you know, there were, less choices there than there are in our new stadium. So the ability to give partners real, you know, sort of solid branding in, in for all of our games in our own stadium, the ability to give, as I said earlier, fans a choice across eight or nine different product groups at different price points, the ability for us to have a major team store and three satellite stores in the building to give real access to merchandising, the ability to bring naming rights, the ability to you know, sell concession opportunities around the bill. If you add all of the revenue from all of those, it's a much bigger number, let's say, than the one that we had in years one and two.
0: So you and I have probably actually talked about this before, Ian, but when you get here and, and MLS gets here, there's certainly a a difference between appealing to the hardcore fan that knows all the intricacies of the game and the nuances and, and the person who's just sort of like, you know, this is a cool thing. I want to go try it out. So, you know, you've, you've answered that question a million times. My question is now two years later, how has the thinking around that dynamic changed and evolved in two and a half years now that you're going into, you know, you're already starting year three and you're about to open a a building.
2: Yeah. I think, I think some, some of it is some of the stuff I've said around, the experiential stuff around the food and the access and the quality of the building. And it's really interesting. And something that was, I have to say I've learned and I'm pleased to have seen and learned on the process is that I think the audience and the, and some of the participation in the U S in MLS uh, is different. And I would say in a positive way to, to my experience in Europe where so some of the rituals and, some of the stuff that goes on in games, I think really endears the new supporter to the, to the you know, it's very unique to soccer as well versus hockey or football. And, and I, it's interesting. I think our game at the end of last season against Orlando at Nissan, I, I thought it was really interesting. We had, I can't remember exactly, I think we had around 23, 24,000 in the lower bowl there that game. And so many people rang me, or you know, I saw online after that game. I'm like, that was the first time I've been to soccer, and I just love, you know, the fans, all the chanting that they were doing, and the guitar riff, and the anthem, and all these things. And and I think it almost sells itself if you it can get people into the building. I think, and we don't, you know, everyone from our backline supporters group would tell you we do not influence what they do, or even try to. You know, they they bring that energy and they've got the rest of the stadium when we're taking a corner, clapping NSC in unison, you know, that nobody told anybody to do that. It just kind of grows and becomes part of it. And that, you don't see that in other sports, right? Soccer's always been about chants and singing. And and then when you add in the rituals and small things, you know, you said about, about, you know, having a, I think you said a five-year-old daughter, you know, when we, when we unleash the mascot with tempo, he's just like, just out of control, like so popular with families and kids. And he's funny, you know? And so it's small, all of the small things like that, that add to the experience. And, you know, Soccer Moses has created this whole, you know, sort of his, his own whole thing. I saw somebody who was Painted a mural of him on the side of a wall yesterday, um, you know, and he's got his own beer now and t-shirts. And,
1: and, and again, it's good to be soccer Moses right now.
2: <laughs> exactly, but that's nothing to do with us. It's part of this organic thing that's growing in the city for soccer, and then and, and I feel really excited about that. I think the more that the city takes charge of what the experience and the energy is, the better. You know, the more that people want to bring whether it's what they bring to that event square on game day or tailgating or what all of those things will just add to what we're trying to do it's almost like i used this phrase a while ago when we started about think of game day as like the festival of soccer and when you go to a music festival you go because there's a band you know so soccer is the headliner here but everything else is kind of come and try it and come and experience it and Come and be part of it. Come and enjoy the energy of the songs or the food or the pregame or, or whatever it is. And, and I think we, we feel really excited about all of that stuff that's been going on.
1: I want to talk to you about building the club and kind of and kind of where you are. It's really interesting as someone who has loved soccer in this country for a long time and kind of watch it watched and watched it grow and watched MLS grow the different ways clubs have approached their, their initial few years in the, in the league. And it's, it's been all over the map, even among sort of expansion franchises here, you, you guys did a couple of very specific things, but one of them was, was bringing in people that on the club side, on the, on the football side, soccer side, how, whatever word we're using right now, uh, that had MLS experience, um, and I'm not asking you to cast any aspersions of others that maybe haven't, I, I, I'm, I, but, I, but I am, what I am interested in was that's a very deliberate decision that, that you guys made from the beginning. And it is paid dividends. Uh, you're in the playoffs the first two years. You were set up, uh, you know, I think you've, you've, you're set up well here for a third year. Uh, what about MLS experience did you think was necessary on the, on the soccer side of things.
2: Yeah, you, you're right. It was very deliberate. Um, you know, in the very early days, I mean, the first person I hired was Mike Jacobs. And we sat for a long time and talked about how we would approach it. And, you know, there were a couple of things. One was, you know, this, the study of this league. And, you know, again, having personally been in a bunch of other leagues before this, knowing how different it was, you know, you've got, and, and so many people from where I come from don't understand MLS. They don't understand the nuances of the travel and the climate and the, all of these important things. Even people coming into MLS as expansion teams often miss that dynamic. And I think so, so we took a long look at, you know, first of all, the level of parity in MLS. I don't think there's another league in the world where you really cross the line in the first game of the season and not know, you know who will be in the top three or four or who's most likely to win it. I think anyone has a chance of winning it every year, which has kind of been proven. There haven't been some team that have just won it year on year. And so when you've got that level of parity, our view was you know, you've got to come out and be pretty solid. If you're, if you're the weakest guy in the pack because you get it wrong, you're really in trouble because people will just beat your ass, right? And secondly, you know, the, the other thing that, that we really looked at was, you know, the players that really understand how you grind out a result in this league. And that that lends itself to, to what, what you asked about, players who really knew the league. And, you know, we were we had a plan and we had to stick to the plan. And it's fair to say that a lot of the media, when we were signing people like... Annabelle Godoy and others were kind of like, oh, it looks like you overpaid there. And, you, you know, Nashville paying too much. You know, he's been around it. And here's Annabelle now played such an important part in the journey, just, just to use him as an example. And people thought we overpaid for Walker similarly. So I think we just stuck to the plan and we had this view of that. If, if we can be very solid as a team, not be over ambitious, not be, you know, not be not ambitious at all, but. Let's just not be the team that everybody thinks they can beat. And then choosing Gary as a coach w- was fundamental to that. You know, some people, and we've said this a lot, some people would describe Gary's teams as defensive. We, we looked at them as hard to beat. And then let's, as we did in USL, let's start with hard to beat and then let's add more and more offense and, and come out of, of the game. And that's really been the plan. And it, and it's, you know, it's worked. It, It's been steady, and we we didn't throw the the other big factor. I would say at the start was you have you know for one time you know in MLS if you get it wrong you can't trade your way out of problem because you can't go spend another twenty million on players you know like I don't know Manchester City or somebody like you can't do that in in a salary cap where you where you're restricted. So not only did we not go crazy, we had a lot of players on shorter contracts and we and such that if the first year had been a disaster we had the ability to roll out of those contracts and roll into different different contracts and then and then secondly you know we looked at it and said you know let's not spend all the money at the outset so we went into game one i mean albeit we only played two and then shut down for five six (laughs) months But, but had we not our plan was always let's see what we've got you know you you're an expansion team with 30 players on a roster or 25 or something we had. And we're like, we hope that we got this right. But if we've got it wrong, let's have some money still in the pot to say, you know what, we need another defensive midfield player or we need another striker or we need... And so if you saw across that, you know, the latter half of that first season and to some degree in the off, first off season we went again because we still had the bandwidth to do that because of the way we'd preserved, you know, expansion money and gam and Tam And, and so it was a very purposeful and well thought through plan. And it kind of continues today. You know, we, we sold Alistair in the off season and brought a lot of money in for that. We sold some other stuff, some other assets and, and we're still looking, you know, we're not, we never dive in just for the sake of spending the money. And I think that's so far, Fingers crossed. That seems to be
0: working well for us. We'll we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, first of all, I'd love to know what Gary, how Gary and Mike watch when on on a ball sort of throws Walker Zimmerman to the ground in a <laughs> World Cup qualifying match for a penalty. But that's just that's just me personally. Um, Ian, how you know the US is on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup after eight long years. how, how does that accomplishment and even some SC players being a part of that? How does that? help grow the sport? What kind of impact does that have on Nashville SC and, and sort of the Tennessee community?
2: Yeah, well, I think, and I know you were joking about, about Gary, but I have to say that I watched the game in a bar with some friends last night. I actually felt huge, not about that particular moment, but it did feel some level of pride for Nashville that two players on that field are playing in this city for this team. I think it's a huge thing. And both of them have captained the team at some point, which is fantastic as well. I, and, and, you know, I think I think that's great testament to, to this city and, you know, the thing that we've been able to attract those sort of players. I think the US qualifying for the World Cup is huge for the sport. I think knowing that, you know, in 2018, when the misqualification, it just sets you back because so many people don't take as big an interest because, because their team's not in it. And particularly the people who I would describe as being on the periphery of our sport. If you love the sport, you're watching whoever's in it, right? But if you're, you know, maybe I'm not sure about soccer, when all of a sudden your team, your national team, is, is in the world stage, in the world's biggest sporting event, you're going to pay attention. And I think for us, and just talking purely about Nashville, I have to believe that, I was talking to John Ingram this morning actually about it because we were talking about the game and I said, you know, you have to think that when the when the World Cup's on in the end of the year, you know, everyone will come out of that feeling positive about the tournament and all of that good stuff that happens with the World Cup and then only be like six, eight weeks and we'll be starting the season again. So you want to capture that energy for, the, for this sport and take it into the 2023 season. So, you know, I'm absolutely sure that that the US will, will be there, even though they already celebrated being there. But, <laughs> but you know, but I but I think that I think that's great for the sport. I think I was listening to something on the radio this morning. I think that the thought is that they'll be in pot two, which is better than the last time around when they were in that kind of group of death because they ended up with two big teams in with them. So who knows? You know, like I've always said about the great thing about cup competitions is once you're in, everybody's got a chance, right? So um, you know, who knows how far that can go, but, but I think it'll be huge for the sport, and, and obviously even bigger given that the next time around it's going to be in this country. So, so it would be a tragedy if they weren't in this time and, and it's great to see them doing so well and getting there last night.
0: Ian, I know it's been a long time to get to May 1st, but it's going to be quite an afternoon in Nashville. Thank you so much for your time, man. Congratulations on the, the success the first two years and, and we'll talk soon. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Appreciate you as always.
0: That was National SC CEO Ian Air, and if you are ever interested in the inner workings of how naming rights and sort of like philosophical vision for building a stadium and how that all affects the professional franchise, I, I just, I thought that was utterly fascinating. Also, some some interesting stuff there on how he, you know, intentionally went about building National SC when he first got to town with a lot of MLS sort of characteristics to it, and they've been way better than almost every other MLS ex- expansion franchise of, of recent memory. And of course, some World Cup stuff there. So I, I like talking with Ian. He's a really smart dude, and I thought a lot of insight into their vision and plan, big picture for that stadium that's going to open on May first and going to be very, very fun.
1: I, I, I'm excited. Uh, I've been in there a couple of times now. Uh, it is a gorgeous facility, and, and I, I kind of can't wait for for fans to get in there and, and experience it. I mean, it's this is not a this is not a small stadium, obviously it's the biggest soccer specific stadium in the United States. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a mid table premier league stadium. If you were to put the stadium in the premier league, you know, there were only, I mean, there would be like seven or eight that are bigger than this, but it would be bigger than all the rest. And I think that that's one thing that for context gives you, gives you perspective on the the ambitions that they have here. And which is they don't want to build for kind of what the fan base is now they want to build what for, for what it is. And a 30,000 seat stadium is a, is a very impressive goal. Very Uh,
0: ambitious. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be filled all the time, but I think you're going to have, I mean, they've sold something like over 20,000 season tickets. And so this thing's going to be, this thing's going to be rocking. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it, it, it's going it, it, to be a great facility, but it's, it, it's, it's really gorgeous. impressive sort of along the way this leadership group has, has and the, kind of the, the way they were formed. It's been impressive that the club has consistently hit as many marks as they have. You know, they got the, on the field part of it, right. With, with Mike Jacob and with Gary Smith and off the field, Hiring Ian Air was a statement on their on their part that they wanted someone who was who had deep experience in big time European football uh, to come over here and transmit that and, and, and kind of figure out the right lens that that, that, that worked. And, yeah. and and you hear you heard Ian talking a lot about the experience. And I think he's I think he has done a really good job of understanding how an American fan is different than a European fan, or and, and how that 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 game day experience is is crucial for them in, in building a, a lasting fan base and build and and, and growing a fan base. I, I, I think
0: it's really insightful that that he blended and you talked about sort of like how an American views the game, right? But it's not even just that; it's how Nashville views entertainment as well. And so I, I think it's a tremendous blend of sort of organic Nashville roots and culture tied into an event with a good product and like his you know experience at the highest levels and on the world stage so I think it's a really nice blend of all of that from a strategy because I it is fascinating how different MLS is and to hear him talk about how different MLS is and how you have to be different in the MLS from a parity standpoint but also Nashville is a little different and everything he they do from even the architecture to the stadium to the in-game you know setup to to the uniforms and everything like it's all sort of organically tied to the city. I think they've done a great job. And to your point, they've hit almost every mark that they've set for themselves. It is going to be a great now here's the key. As long as they keep putting a good product on the field, this city yep. will support it. That's it. That's yep. it. Because everything else will happen. Soccer Moses will happen and the chance in the fans section and the supporters and the like local businesses are getting you know up up into soccer now. So it is going to work if the product on the field is good. That that I think is the the, the last thing we need to, to wrap up here. Great conversation with Ian you know, from designing it to fit into the neighborhood to how he built the team. I thought everything in there was really, really insightful. The amount of money they're going to make off the stadium versus not being in a rental (laughs) is is also (laughs) fascinating uh, as well. So recommendations coming up in just a second. Special thanks to Ian for giving us so much of his time. He's a talker, Steve. He's a talker. TV ratings in the market for the weekend. Hit me. One team dominated the top two slots. Do you have a guess?
1: Was that team Chris Rock and Will Smith?
0: (laughs) No, actually, three NCAA tournament games beat the Oscars. Wow. How about that? So number one, North Carolina over St. Peter's, which was an absolutely garbage basketball game, (laughs) pulled a 10.2. I believe that was on Sunday. St. Peter's and Purdue, a 9.6. So St. Peter's advancing farther than any 15 seed ever has, pulled a 9.6. So good on you, Nashville, for paying attention to history. I like that. Number three on the list, an 8.6 TV rating. North Carolina-UCLA also makes sense. Two big brands in the Elite Eight. Um, uh, Again, fascinating game there. Arkansas and Duke pulled an 8.1, and Arkansas and Gonzaga pulled a 7.7. A little surprised that those two Arkansas games didn't pull higher with Duke Gonzaga and an sec team being in those games. But that goes to show you how much we love Cinderella, at least in the first couple of weekends. I'm not sure if that counts in the final four. I think North Carolina Duke is going to be a pretty big number
1: (laughs) next weekend. Yeah. That Uh, that may be a, that may be not an all time number, but it's certainly going to be between the history of those franchises, coach K retiring some of the players that are, they're going to be on that court. Yep. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs there. And CBS moved it to the late slot, so... You can complain all you want to
0: about Blue Bloods. Oh, I don't love... I hate Duke. I don't want to see Duke North Carolina. You can complain and tweet all you want to, but it ain't real. What you want to see is Duke North Carolina. VCU, George Mason, and Loyola Chicago were were three of the lower-rated Final Four matches of the last 20 years from a TV standpoint. So the country goes on Twitter, and claims that they wanted St. Peter's. But that ain't what's going to happen when we sit, when we all sit down to watch the games. Duke and North Carolina will be a huge number. And my prediction is, is that if Mike Krzyzewski and Duke is playing his final game ever in the national championship game against either Kansas or Villanova, it doesn't matter, especially Kansas, it will be one of the most watched national championship games of all time in my in my prediction. What do you think?
1: I, I don't know about that. I mean, here's why. So, so, like, if you go back and look at there, – there are some – there are some big numbers out there, particularly from the 80s, uh, like Georgetown Nova. Well, nothing's going to is a big of, number, mo- of you know. the modern
0: era. Nothing's going to compare. Indiana
1: to State, Michigan
0: State is a is a big number. But, but you're right. The numbers, the, the numbers um, like you, you're right. The, the numbers for the national championship were huge in the 80s and the 90s, and it dropped right around 2000. So if you want to call it modern, you know, since the call, turn of the, turn of the we'll century say
1: since 2000. It could be it could be a, a really big number.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating watching the national championship ratings in the late 80s and early 90s. They were yeah. off the charts. They were really yeah. big. I think this number is gonna be as big as we've seen in 20 years. Uh, I'll put it that way. So if Coach K, if Coach K's in the final, win or lose, I, I think that's gonna draw. Even though people hate it, they they're gonna tune in to watch him lose too. So uh, either way. All right, there's oh Oscars. You want to know where the Oscars ranked? Uh
1: like a nine. Basically, yeah.
0: Eight good guess. Yeah. Eight point four finished fourth. It would have been the fourth most watched sports show if it was a sports show. Um, although there was some boxing in it, apparently. So I don't I don't really care. I didn't see it. The only way I knew about it was, you know, my, my morning throne time looking at Twitter. I saw <laughs> I saw something happen in the Oscars the night it was, before. It was we,
1: we didn't we we weren't watching because I had been watching the i had been watching the US game earlier, uh, which was, I think, a six o'clock start. Yeah, there was too much going on. Yeah, yeah, that and so, so my wife, my my wife was like, "I'm not watching the Oscars. I haven't seen any of these movies. You know, I, it's a <laughs> it's a three and a half hour award show. I, I'm not going to do it. Whatever. I'm not." Into and then, and then Twitter lost its mind. Yeah, I know. And so, and and so I saw what was happening, and, and so my wife went from, "You can't make me watch the Oscars," to. Is there is there another angle on the Australian uncensored feed where I could see this again? I mean, where she was I, all of a sudden. I don't think was, it's
0: real, Steve. I don't think it's. He was real. taking
1: it through like the Zabruda film, like trying to figure out exactly what had happened.
0: Uh, it is the most publicity that show has gotten in years. I I, I I'm calling. Uh, that
1: number was up way was I'm way up nationally. fabric.
0: I'm calling. I'm calling. Uh, there's some something fishy going on here. All all of a sudden, the the award show that's been losing steam for a decade, all of a sudden, has the highest number it's had in a long time. Hmm. I don't know. I don't
1: know. I don't know.
0: Two great actors on stage acting. I don't just. It's. I'm just saying. It's not. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Steve.
1: Occam's razor is a thing for for a reason. (laughs) And and I don't think there's no.
0: Well, Chris had a nice close shave on on Sunday night. (laughs) Um, All right. Recommendations. I can't. I love this show uh, so much. So the guy, you know, you probably know way more about the, the 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 writers and sort of the history of it than I do. But Greg Daniels, who did The Office, I don't know if you've heard of that. And Parks L- and Rec, L-
1: Little sh- Little Show. He you has a show say.
0: that the second season just came out, I believe, and the third season's been picked up called Upload on Amazon, and it, it is this sort of like utopian dystopian future version of all of our technological, you know integrations into our human life like on steroids but with a little bit of that like lasso Shits Creek kind of comedy charm to it like wholesomeness to it as well I put it in that category it is so creative and so silly and so funny um, it's not a you know it doesn't have big actors in it it doesn't have a bunch of names you you think are going to be superstars but it, I think it's and the acting is okay <laughs> but the writing and the concept is so creative so funny you know, it's all about the being uploaded into the afterlife
1: <laughs> when you die. So there's like, it gets, milit- a, it, it gets a, a lot of good place comparisons. Uh, yeah, a
0: little bit, a little bit, I, which I think for, which for me is
1: great because I, I love the good place. My
0: wife does, too. And I think this is funny, but I think you have to sort of be in a headspace to understand all the weird technological things that are happening to us right now and what they could look like in 15 years. It's set in the future. And we I, w- I rolled through the first season in like two nights and I'm ready to start on the second season. Uh, It is so much. It's a murder mystery. It's a love story. It's religious commentary. It's societal commentary. It's technological and media commentary. It It is everything all in one place. It is so fun. So good. Upload
1: on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Awesome. I'll put it on the list. It's great. It's great. So I have a story I want you to go read. This was a... I heard part of this on Morning Edition the other day, and... It's just a really good piece. Uh, Shannon Bond wrote this uh, for NPR uh, and the headline on it is that smiling LinkedIn profile face might be a computer generated fake. Ooh. And it's, and it's about, it's about all of these sort of like perfect headshot images that, that, that appear in profiles and what kind of the giveaways are that it might be a fake. And it's it's just a really sort of fascinating thing. I mean, like there's a vague background as opposed to being something specific. The eyes are perfectly centered. You know, <laughs> th- th- there's not th- this one uh, that they that they analyzed. Ha- a woman had a had a missing earring on one ear. Some of the some of the hair. You know, it has been blurred so that it's, you can tell that it's, you can tell that it's been altered. But we don't think about this sort of thing because we only see these headshots like in that little circle on LinkedIn at a very small size. But it, but it's a fascinating sort of piece about, uh, uh, about them. I highly recommend it. Just, I I don't wanna, I don't wanna give away too much more from the story. Just go read it. It it is
0: what you need to do is read this story and then go watch upload and watch them (laughs) and then, and then watch the, the literally a person's job is to digitally create your virtual self. Because we're going to upload your brain and consciousness into this like digital heaven. So you're you're like feeding right into the show. Oh, that's great. With this like LinkedIn thing that's like, because deep fakes are coming, folks, right? Like they're already here. They're already here. Get ready for them. But go read this article by Steve and then immediately sit down and watch upload literally at the same time. Could not imagine a better, more cohesive recommendations. We didn't even plan that. Good job, Steve. <laughs> Excellent.
1: <laughs> let, me, job. let me let me give you one other uh, recommendation. It, it's the end of the session, uh, and if you're if you're following the state legislature, uh, and you want more light than heat, you want like a really really good coverage person to follow. Eric Shelzik was the was the longtime uh, AP. Capitol Hill Bureau guy. Uh, And now he uh, runs a thing called Tennessee Journal, which is a a paid newsletter. He does a lot of his Twitter feed's really good, particularly this time of year as like everything is happening on the Hill. Uh, And he's got a thing up that's really good. You know, there's been sort of a scandal brewing on Capitol Hill in, with regards to Glenn Cassida and the the voucher, uh, the the voucher law that passed and, you know, where there were there inducements and they had uh, he and his, chief of staff had this thing called phoenix i think it's called phoenix solutions I, phoenix I am solutions. i am
0: just shocked by this steve
1: it, anyway uh, uh you know grand, a grand jury has been impaneled <laughs> and so so like typical for for schelzig is schelzig has this thing up right now where he has a picture from the last uh big gop supper in 2018 and then he goes through and uh takes away everybody at that table who is now no longer in Tennessee politics like a back to the future image <laughs> yeah and it's uh he he shades him out it's really good but Shelzig's a great follow and and if you definitely. if you are interested in all in, in Tennessee uh, politics uh, you should definitely follow him he, and his, his sign on is Schelzig, s c h e l z i g and he's and, a, and he's a big soccer fan too so. and along those same lines
0: make sure you are subscribed to the Nashville Banner nashvillebanner.com where you can sign up for that newsletter Content coming soon, folks, from the Nashville Banner. Uh, cannot wait for all of the hard work uh, for you guys to that we've seen you guys do to pay off. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be very informative. And you're going to need to have it in your life. So go check it out uh, as well. Make sure you go to where to watch a game,
1: Steve. Um, we, place of the game room.
0: We know he's listening, so you better get it right.
1: <laughs> There's an air hockey table there without any rules posted. Oh, I'm going to go with Jasper's. Give me a
0: freaking break. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The food is great. The happy hours are very real. The game room is awesome and updated. It's just a great place to go watch games, folks. You've heard us talk about it for over a year now. I don't know what the hell you're waiting for. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, for Steve Cavendish, my name is Braden Gall. Special thanks to Ian Air for giving us a lot of his time. We really appreciate it. Click all the buttons, folks, the subscribe buttons, the YouTube, the socials, all the buttons that are out there. Just click them all. We, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys all for hanging out. This has been Lame Stream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. Have a great weekend, everybody.